He's right here in front of me, and I can honestly tell him that I'm going to knock him spark out. Leaping right hand by the Prince. Ooh. And a hard left. And Kelly's down for the third time. So you're welcome along to another edition of Off The Brawl, your boxing show here on Off The Brawl. I'm Ronan Mullen, joined as ever by Phil Egan, and this week by friend of the show and renowned Irish boxing trainer, Packy Collins. Packy, how are things? Good. Very good, actually. Good Very good, actually. A lot, of people, a lot of people are complaining, you know, about these times. I'm sure there is people who are suffering, you know, physically, mentally, you know, because they're not working, but... I've been boxing since I was a kid, I boxed professional. I you know, accidentally went from being a fighter to becoming a trainer. Um, so I've never had such a long break away from the gym and away from boxing. And uh, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm actually enjoying the break away. I love, I love boxing, I can't wait to get back there, but mm-hmm. doing something else in my life, it's just been fantastic. I'm actually, this, this has been probably the best thing could have happened for me. It's this, uh, this lockdown. What kind of stuff have you been doing? Have you just been taking it easy, or what have you been up to? No, no. I, I'm always, I'm always keep myself busy, but I'm not tied to time no more. I don't have to be a certain place at a certain time. Um, I, I'm, I'm doing some work at home, some renovations that I started like a year ago, and all of a sudden I keep getting fights, and I'm in the gym, so I didn't have much time to finish anything. So I've had my list, and I've been getting kind of jobs that I started a year ago. You know, finish one at a time. Um, which is good. So when the boxing does come back, I mean, then I can go home and chill out rather than walk at home and then go to the gym. So I've been doing that. I, I think I've moved my patio three times. Rob <laughs> <laughs> moved it. And don't like it there, but I don't mind because I can walk away and go back the next day. And, and you know, I'm, it's funny because even my mother, although my mother's behind closed doors, I've probably seen more of my mother now when I shouldn't be than when I could have. So I go sit in the garden the other day and we chat keep a distance uh, you know I remember as a kid growing up in Cabaret and uh, when it was very little like you know it wasn't that long ago but there was no playstations there was no you know phones so everyone communicated so you go to a garden in the summertime and be people along the guards painting the railings but everybody chatted everybody knew each other we had a great sense of community um, in the last in the last probably eight weeks I've got to know a lot of my neighbours who I didn't know but I've never even seen you know, so it, it, it's, I think it's been great. And I, and I do hope when we go back to the normality as far as being able to, you know, work in groups in the gyms or, you know, whatever you do in life, that we don't forget these times, that you still continue with the, with the good things that's come over, like getting to know your neighbours and, and actually helping people. You know, a lot of people like elderly on my road, we're, we're getting to know them. We never really, it's not that we never took notice of them. We never had to. But now we're, we're getting to know them. We're doing a bit of gardening and doing a bit of shopping and, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm loving it. I'm enjoying mm. it. And it is, it can be a little bit impersonal, as you said, with the social distancing, but the way that we're speaking now, the te- technology is such in such a way that 
I'm connecting with more people than I probably would have done in normal circumstances, you know, friends from years ago and that kind of stuff. So it, it is, in that sense, it has been beneficial. And even from a boxing standpoint, Paki, boxers are well used to being in lockdown. You know, it's kind of, they're yeah. used to, they're used to 10 week, 12 week training camps where they're away from society. So for your fighters, not much has changed in that regard. Well, we, we've got a WhatsApp page between me and my fighters and uh, some of the guys that, you know, help out with the gym. And we keep in touch with each other and we have a laugh and we, you know, we keep each other, we let each other know what training we're doing and try this. And, and then we send fights to each other, you know, have a look at this fight and have a look at that fight. And um, so, and then like even Craig lives not far from me. He's got a big, long back garden. So I drop down to Craig for once a week. I sit one end of his garden, have a coffee. He sits at the other end and uh, we have a chat and, you know, I talk to the guys on the phone and, you know, but, but speaking of uh, social distance, like I, I remember being in Brockton, the Petronelli's back in the 90s, and Goody wouldn't shake your hand. It always like a fist pump you. You say to me, you know, Paki, if, if somebody comes into the gym that has maybe a virus and they shake your hand and you shake somebody else's hand, all of a sudden the virus goes right through the whole gym. Fighters who are under constant stress through their training regime leave themselves wide open for, for, uh, for all kinds of illness. So uh, I instill that in all my fighters too. So in my gym, when you go in, you know, we don't shake hands, we fist pump. I get them to put hand sanitizer on their hands before we went to the gym and before they leave. And I've been doing that for the last six, seven years. So it's, it's you know, I, 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 you know, quick story. We're in um, Texas with Spike in January, fighting Mungia. And I know that last week of training camp, you're very open to, to, to bugs. You know, they're very fit and they're very open. And uh, we went down to, to, to San Antonio and it was like Spike. Don't be shaking people's hands, fist pumping. No problem, no problem. Spike's such a nice guy. Someone puts their hands out, he shakes it. So I literally had a bottle of hand sanitizer. This is before the talk of coronavirus. So I'm going behind Spike, Spike, give me a hand. Hand sanitizer, hand sanitizer. So I'm constantly doing that. So I think the difference now between going forward to what I've seen in the past, a lot of people will now, you know, good idea. Even when, even when coronavirus is gone, hand sanitizer in your hands and stop shaking hands with you know, you can shake hands with people out, out of camp. You know, you can't be a person. But in camp, people will understand this pump, hand sanitizer, because I'm in, I'm, I'm in training for a fight and I can afford to be sick. So good, a lot of good stuff can come out. A lot of positives can come out as far as boxing and, and, and training is concerned. No, for sure. Even everyday life, I think people are going to be forced into new good habits. Uh, Phil, how are you keeping? How are you finding things? Yeah, good. Yeah. Such keeping fit. You know, I'm lucky where I am in, in Bray. Obviously, it's now five kilometers, but it was two kilometers. That still got me down to the seafront so I could run down. There's a nice big hill. Keep doing my exercise. I'm probably fitter now than I was <laughs> before the whole thing started. The dog is getting plenty of exercise, doing my own workouts, and even something that Paki alluded to just having no deadlines really. Obviously, I'm still still working, but I'm finished at two o'clock every day. But I just find in the evenings my head is is crystal clear. In terms of boxing, obviously we're missing it. But boxing is one of those sports where you can you, even while it's going on, you're still always looking back at old fights. That's just the nature of boxing. Whereas I don't know about you, Ronan. I after a while got sick of watching classic football matches because you knew the score. Whereas with boxing. You know, you obviously might know the result, but you can still be entertained by watching it back. There's plenty of documentaries. Boxing documentaries are always great. I I did enjoy watching the football yesterday, the Bundesliga coming back, and people were giving out that, it, you know, there was no fans there. But 
you know, things are not going to be normal for a while. Things are not normal when you go to the supermarket. Mm. Things are not going to be normal when boxing returns. So I think the fact that I was able to watch live football and not know the result before the game started, actually, the novelty of that, and even at halftime, going out, making a cup of tea for myself mm. and looking forward to the second half. So, you know, things are starting to come back. And um, I, I, I've actually enjoyed the, the quiet time and kind of... the the extra space, the extra headspace that I have. And just on the football, like that is the precedent now, especially in that sport, but also you, we've seen with the UFC having fights behind closed doors. And I find with that, I'm not sure about the football, but with the UFC after a little while, you do get used to the no crowd. Like you kind of, you get invested in the fights and if the football was, if it's a really competitive game, you're going to get more invested in what's going on in the pitch. You're going to lose sight of the fans almost. So do you think that will be the case? People will get used to this? Or will it never be the new normal? I think people will get used to it for the next few months because we just have to accept that's the way it is. But in terms of going forward, no, obviously we want we want the, the packed houses there and you want to be able to go to these fights. But people saying like, you know, football without fans is nothing. Look, I, I know what they're they're getting at, but we all got into sport. We all like sport because of, you know, if, if you like boxing, you got into it because of, of what it is, of you know, the, the discipline that it brings you, the training, all that. Obviously, the fans and the big crowds. Obviously, we're going to talk about a fight that had a bigger crowd as the, the trilogy developed. But you know, we just have to get used to it for the, for the time being. In terms of behind closed doors, Packy, I don't know if you had to go and take charge of a fight behind closed doors. Is it something you have to think about now, where your instructions would be? Obviously, more audible people will be able to hear exactly what you're saying. Now, there is plenty of times we can hear trainers shouting during fights, but we're going to hear absolutely everything. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not, I'm not in a hurry back to uh, to the ring with my fighters. Um, I hear a lot of shows coming up in June, July, or probably July. You know, behind closed doors, and um, I'm not in a hurry to do that because. You know, what you got to realise is, firstly, if you've got fighters fighting, you've got to have a training camp. In the training camp, you've got to work with certain other people. You've got to have sparring practice. Um, so, you know, you want your fighter 110% right for a fight. They, they cannot be right for a fight under them circumstances. If it's a big fight, like, there's a possibility that Spike could maybe fight in July or August um, for a world title. But talking in the background, it's just talk at the moment. Uh, about Tixera and Spike for the WL Junior Middleweight title, it's a possibility. If that happened, that's a big fight. You've got someone to play with. You, you go away from home and you're trying to bring people into a small camp. You have them tested. You can pay them to be there. You can pay them to be away from home. We all stay in the one area and we can do it that way. Um, so as far as the health concerns, I put health health concerns first because every person has a family at home too. They've got a, they've got a wife and kids. You know that they've got to be they've got to think of as well. So. I'm not in a rush back for that reason, unless it's a big fight. Um, if it's a situation where I'm in a, a, a venue with a fighter and there's no crowd there, that's an ideal situation because most fighters get wrapped up in, in, in the atmosphere. You know, they can, if it's a fighter in the gym, if I have a fighter in the gym, if you like actually two guys who are fighting in the gym, you know, we call it a spar. But if you have a guy coming from an outside, different gym, there's competition there. They try to kill each other. But when it's one-on-one -on -one talking, they listen. They take notice. Um, so in that, in that aspect, it'd be a lot easier to, to instruct your fighter, you know, when there's nobody there. But, you know, speaking like, as you just mentioned earlier, 
Simon would talk about if the crowds weren't there on the night, I think the setting fires probably would not have continued when they were in the depths. And it's the crowd that's what's, is what licked you through them last 30 seconds of that round. Um, that's what you need the crowd for and as a fire is concerned because you get, you get hit in the chin and your legs are gone and you don't know where you are. Instinctively, if you can hit a crowd to roar you on, that's maybe what gets you the last 30 seconds of the last minute. If there's nothing, you know, I don't know. I've never been in that situation, but uh, that's why I think, I don't know, it, it can work for television, but as far as a fighter and, and the atmosphere and what goes along with it, um, you know, it wouldn't be as enjoyable. But I do know fighters have to work, and I do know, you know, they need to earn money, and I know that these promoters have to promote fights, and you have to have a certain you know, the fights each year, so it has to go on. So under the circumstances, I, I would rather it not, but if it did, you know, the question you asked me was, would it be easier with just no crowd there? We talked to my father, absolutely much easier. Like, I would be torn a bit on it. Andy Lee, a couple of weeks ago, was making the point, and I think everyone's on board with it, that at a time when frontline services are stretched, to be taking them away from the frontline and, and bringing them to a boxing event or a UFC event, it seems a little bit reckless. But if we can get to a certain point where that can be done safely, I think it's no harm to maybe ease it back. And as you said, lads, there's talk Eddie Hearn of having fights in his back garden. There's talk of Shakur Stevenson defending his world title in the summer as well. So fights, it's inevitable that they will come back. There's just too much money at stake, I presume. But in terms of your own fighters, Packy, you've mentioned a couple of them there. But I presume the likes of <clears throat> Ray Moylet and Niall Kennedy are chomping at the bit to get back because they've had layoffs and a couple of fights fall through. So how are the lads keeping generally? Well, as far as Ray Moylet, like, my heart goes out to him because, you know, he was preparing. He, he'd come off a, a good lot of fights, a lot of wins. Uh, he had one loss in, in, in Westport, but in my eyes it wasn't a loss, it was a victory because he got up off the floor twice, continued on, won the last round. In a close fight, the decision went to, you know, to the Mexican, and he deserved it. It was a very close fight. Um, he took a lot from that, so we went back to the gym, we prepared. Uh, six months into, you know, his last fight, we made our way to America. Um, unfortunately, the, the, visa, the situation had changed. Um, so we arrived out there, we were thrown back because the situation had changed as far as visas with Ray Millet and Noel O'Connor also. Back to the drawing board, we got his visas issue sorted, we paid the money, we got the, you know, the, the right lawyers on board, we organised it, was done. So then we arrived at the Boston, like over a year later, to um, buy in the House of Blues. And, uh, you know, we're training and then the Thursday night, we were like, you know, it's going to be me today with the Mass Boxing Commission and Morphy Boxing to see if this show's going to go ahead. So I'm looking at Ray and I'm like, oh my God. Because I knew when I, when I had fights before that fell through, it was tough. But for Ray, it was tougher. He'd been out for a long time. He has a, a wife at home. He's a kid at home. And he, he'd start working uh, part-time also, which is good for fighters. But, you know, he had three training camps for this one fight. And uh, for this to happen again, it broke my heart. And But... But, you know, this is life. No matter what you do in life, from the start to the finish, you're going to go through these times. And this is the difference between coming a, a champion, great fighter, a champion, continuing on or not. And I think it'll, it'll serve him well when he does back, get back to the gym and when he does get a fight eight. So, uh, Niall Kendi. Niall is different. Niall is, um, you know, he's coming off a loss. He wants to get back out fighting again. But Niall wasn't going to Boston because he injured his hand. He wanted to continue training, and I was like, no, no, let's not risk coming off, you know, losing a second time. Coronavirus, you know, appears upon our shores, and then all of a sudden, 
Niall as a guard is just thrown straight in. He's, he's, he's working flat out. And, and I don't know if you noticed, but he got awarded a special award from the World Boxing Council. Um, a, a world hero title is what he received for his work as a fighter and um, as a frontline worker. He actually received that yesterday from the World Boxing Council. So, you know, I, I encourage my fighters. It's, it's times like this when boxing stops. And a lot of guys who are fighters are going, what do I do? Where do I go? I, I always say this to my fighters. I'm an electrician by trade. I served my time as an electrician in Dublin. And the, when I finished my, my apprenticeship, I handed him my notes and I went to America and turned professional. My brother Steve was the same electrician McGuinness. When he finished his time, he went to America. So if boxing didn't happen, if it didn't work out, it's something to fall back on. And there's probably 1% of fighters who make enough money to actually make a living from boxing. So I, say, I tell all my fighters, have a career, have something else lined up when boxing's over. It's a short career, and when it finishes, you need to earn money for the rest of your life. So it's times like this. Craig has his little bike yard in Smith in, in, in Cable Street. He's down there selling bikes. You know, Spike's at home with his kids in his new house that he bought from his last fight, which is fantastic. Uh, Ray Mallette is, a, is, a, uh, is doing uh, aid. He's helping there. Uh, he's a healthcare worker. Now Kenny a guard. Um, you know, everybody has something else going on. So when they're not in the gym boxing, they're not going sitting at home, getting depressed or looking for stuff to do. Every one of them has something else to step in and do. So it's, you know, it's, you know, Niall and, and Ray, they're, they're, they're keeping busy in their boat. And, um, you know, and even, Yeah, and even in normal circumstances, it's something you say all the time that as much as you into physical training with the lads it's also it's mental training as well and psychological almost so i presume that's even more important now to sort of keep the lads focused even though they might not have a firm date in mind just to keep them on track and almost would you be encouraging them to almost park boxing for the moment and and take a break from it completely or is it no important? no my my I, we're on whatsapp and you know I, the first couple of weeks they're putting up that time to do on 10k and they're like, well, I've done it so much time. I hit the red zone. They all wear these little things. I call them man bras with like a timer on the chest. You know, I, I, I'm old school. I go to the gym. I train hard. I know I train hard because I'm lying there. And I'm, you know, I'm out of breath. I know I train hard. I don't need the guys to tell me this. <laughs> they're, all, they're all under the WhatsApp. They're saying, I've done a run at this time. I've done a run at that time. And I'm like, hang on a minute. This is not going to happen for 10 weeks, maybe three months. We're not going to be in the gym for three months, maybe four months. You know, fitness is important. But we also speak about, at the time when we broke up, you know, you, you've got bad habits. You know, go correct them bad habits in these times. The fitness will come in, keep yourself in second shape. But the bad habits I speak to you about all the time, go to the gym and you, you correct the, the bad habits. So use that time to make yourself a better fighter, not a fitter fighter. You know, fitter fighters, you can do it six weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks, you know. So I encourage them to go to the gym on their own, being wherever they can be on their own, and the habits that we speak about, practice here. Keep the left hand low, get up higher, get up higher, keep tapping yourself top of the head, you know it's there. And you know, it's, 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 it becomes a habit then, it becomes a good habit. So this is what we do, I, I, I give them, I give them uh, exercise to do, to practice. Each fighter, different exercise. I know them all, some of them are mentally strong, some might be a little weaker. So uh, we just give them exercise. and. and you know, the message I, I, I tell them is, listen, this is going to, this is, we're going to come out of this, you know, it might be July, it might be September, it might be November. Let's look at September, having the next fight in September, gives us a little bit more time. So you're not in the gym, 
in training camp, pinning ourselves to find out then it falls through again, falls through again. Let's just set a little bit of a longer goal that we'll be back in the gym or we'll be back in the, in the ring in probably um, September because the gyms, as far as I'm concerned, can't open until maybe the end of June, July. So I cannot, I, I'm not going to break any, any uh, curfews. I'm not going to have anybody in my gym until the, the HSE um, and the government tell me I'm not going to break any rules because, as you say, and Andy Lee said, the frontline workers are overworked at the moment. And I don't want to make their lives any harder by, you know, going to the gym sooner and, and we all pick up forests and then all of a sudden we're in the hospital and, and ventilator. So I'm, I won't do that. I'll, I'll abide by the rules and listen to the experts. And Phil, just before we go into the archives here, any bits of news catching your eye? I mentioned the Eddie Hearn thing where prospective fights in his backyard and Katie Taylor maybe against Amanda Serrano happening there rather than... Madison Square Garden or Manchester Arena and then a few other fights on the docket Dillian White maybe event against Pavekin might happen there too so uh, anything catching your eye? Yeah those fights you mentioned are probably high, higher profile than I would have thought we were going to get if if they do happen behind closed doors because I know Frank Warren had said about Tyson Fury and Wilder obviously was meant to happen in in July, then they were talking about October, but he said there's absolutely no chance a fight like that happens behind closed doors, given the magnitude of it. So the fact that Katie Taylor would be fighting behind closed doors, I'd be surprised by that. But you know that you're going to get huge viewing figures. And obviously watching the, the Bundesliga over the weekend, they obviously wouldn't have gone ahead with it unless they had all the, the correct procedures in place. So boxing would be the same. UFC are doing it as well. You've seen Dana White up videos of himself getting tested and so uh yeah like it, the, obviously there's going to be an appetite to, to watch fights but um it would be it'd be interesting to see just how pro how high profile we could get a dillian white pavekin fight i said i'd be surprised if we got something that big mm. well packy made an interesting point about fighters feeding off the energy in fights and like Derek Chisora is the one example of that where I remember watching him fighting in Monaco and he just never got going at all because he just he needs the energy to bounce off and then a couple of months later he's fighting Dillian White and giving him all he can handle so there are certain fighters who need it and then we've spent decades watching fighters in amateur boxing fighting in empty arenas like the best of the best the cream of the crop Katie Taylor with a box in front of a handful of people Lamachenko all these guys are probably used to this so they don't need that kind of thing to motivate themselves so it's an interesting one. Packy, just before we get on to Gaddy Ward, uh, one of the two of the nicest lads in Irish boxing, I've been having a little bit of an exchange about a potential fight, and that's Luke Keeler mentioned he wouldn't mind fighting Jason Quigley if the opportunity arose, and you obviously have a relationship or had a relationship with Luke. How do you think those two match up? I used to train Luke. Um, I think it's a very good matchup. I think it's a very good fight. Um, it would want to be for something significant, but it's it happy. You know, maybe maybe uh, an international title or intercontinental title with the chance of becoming an eliminator for something bigger, maybe a world title. Because Luke is just coming off a loss um, for a world title, um, so he he'd be looking to get himself back in, into the mix again. But maybe have one, maybe two one fights before he steps up there again. And Jason Quigley is coming off uh, he's coming off a win, but prior to that, he uh, he had a bad loss at Torino uh, Johnson. So um, I, I don't think their path should cross right now. It's like, it's like going back to times when Andy Lee was boxing, Matthew Macklin was boxing, and John Duddy were boxing. And you know, their names kept getting thrown into the mix. And you know, my philosophy in life is that Ireland is such a small country 
And if you've got two really good fighters, let them go their separate ways and let them both try to win world titles. You know, one of them may, two of them probably won't. But that one fighter wins the world title, then you have a bigger fight. So I think uh, Jason Quigley, I think he might have a big fight or two coming up with Golden Boy. Um, and then possibly him and Luke Hill could fight. But it would have, have to be something substantial, you know, reward-wise, because, um, you know, it's not like anybody's on the, on the slip. They're both on their way. Um, so if they were my fighters, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, allow them to fight each other right now because, you know, it would have to be, as I say, something substantial. I'd, I'd let, you know, if I was Luke's trainer, I'd say, right, let's see where Jason's going. Let's in, you know, big fights. Maybe go the way my offer you a big fight in, in Vegas on the Canelo Undercard against Jason. You say, okay, you know, you get a big payday for that. And, and you know, if you're going to beat Jason quickly or vice versa, do it on, on a big stage. So uh, it's a good fight. It's a, I think it's a pick and fight. Bill, what do you reckon? If two lads who are regulars on the show, we'd have to be, we'll have to act like Johnny Nelson when we get the two of them in and do the gloves are off or something. Yeah, I want to see the footage of when they sparred because we know that they sparred in, in in recent months. So I'd like to see the footage of that and be interesting to... I remember when Luke was in, we mentioned it. And when we asked him, he didn't give much away. He had a bit of a smile on his face. And Jason as well. So, you know, there's the, the code, the, the boxers uh, code there where they're not giving much away, but deep down they both know. But then again, Packy, what, what's, you know, sometimes when fights happen and they've sparred each other, a lot is made of actually what happened in sparring, but then come the night of the fight, it all goes out the window. Well, Luke Hill is a very hard puncher. I know that can happen in my gym. And um, very hard puncher, he, he throws a right hand that kind of lands the side of your head, like borderline, back head, but it's not. Side of your head, so Luke has power. He's got serious power. But we're saying that when I watched um, Jason Quigley fight Torino Johnson, he took a lot of shots. And I tell you, a lesser man would have quit, but he didn't. He showed a lot of heart. So I, I, think, for, for, I think Jason would have to box Luke, you know, not stand and trade, box and move around. And I say Luke hits hard, but you know, it, could, it could turn out to be a, a crap fight or it could turn out to be a great fight. But as I said, I think it's just too soon right now. I'd like to see it be for a world title. Or maybe eliminate it for one time. And the the cross paths in the amateurs as well. So it's a ready made story. Hopefully, as Packy says, they can build to a certain point where it means something to both the lads. But hopefully, we'll have some fresh fights to look forward to soon. But for today, it's back to the archives and one of the defining meetings in boxing history, really. May 18th, 2002, Arturo Gatti versus Mickey Ward. We know that Mickey Ward can keep fighting through this kind of action. Ward landed yes. 42 out of 71 punches. We're not round. sure about Gaddy because right. he hasn't yeah. been in this kind of a war with as strong a fighter as Ward before. That body shot again. That's the body shot. It's the left hook to the body. Ward's money punch. And this knockdown counts. And he is hurt. This is it. It's, he's not going to recover. It's not like a head punch. He may not be able to recover. I don't think so. And, and Ward is going to go right back down again, right to the body again. He's still hurting from the body punch also still, in addition to the head. Arturo Gatti refusing to go down as Mickey Ward pounds away. In the past, this is where Arturo Gatti has been dangerous. But Ward should go back to the body again. 
another low blow penalty. They try to get Ward off of him and lands another big shot. Burton, did Ward punch himself out for the time being with yes. that tremendous barrage in the first minute? Just look at this. Unbelievable. Can you believe there's still a minute and a half to go in the round? There you have it, round nine of Arturo Gatti versus Mickey Ward, chapter one, which took place at the Mohegan Sun on this weekend back in 2002. Phil, we'll start with you. Certainly, this is a matchup which will be foremost in most people's mind when they hear about classic fights. So how did you find revisiting this one? I honestly, I could watch this fight every week. I just love it. Obviously, round nine, but, you know, the obviously knowing the, the way the story develops as well, it just... Kind of you, you sit there and you watch it with a smile on your face. Obviously, unfortunately for the, the world of boxing, Arturo Gatti is no longer with us. But just that that friendship that evolved throughout the the trilogy, and even at one stage, Mickey Ward ends up training Arturo Gatti. But going back to the the, the fight, obviously the build up, something even we just touched on a few minutes ago. They're talking about Jason Quigley and Luke Keeler, how. The narrative was that Gatti was going to do the boxing. Obviously, Buddy McGirt started training him and Gatti was going to box. And that's the way it started out. But then Mickey Ward got dragged him into the, the war. And then we got the, the fight that had been talked about for a good few years. And people said, this is what will happen if, if you get these two to go head to head. And that's exactly how it played out. And it's unbelievable. And just some of the, the commentary, obviously... One sad thing about watching these fights is the HBO commentary. We no longer get that. We know the, the high quality. One line towards the, the end of the fight where Larry Merchant says, this is the way it has to end, as they just go hell for leather, just swinging towards the, the last few seconds of the fight. Jim Lampley says, a strike, or a fight straight out of the 50s. So, said, I think if anyone who has never seen it, obviously a lot of people would probably watch round nine, but if they've never seen it, they might think, can it be that good? It is. It's even better than you can imagine. 
And I think Lampley said something like, we knew it would be a fight of the year contender. We didn't know it would be a contender for fight of the century. And that's what it, it sort of turned out to be. Packy, I know Mickey Ward, someone you've been friendly with yourself from your time in Massachusetts. So did you enjoy looking back at this fight, one of his, possibly his greatest night? Yeah, yeah. Well, funnily enough, um, I think I think about 12 months prior to that, July of 2001, uh, Mickey fought in Hampton. I think it was, uh, it was Hampton Park Casino in New Hampshire. I was there at ringside. He fought a guy called Augusta. Mm. And uh, I don't know if you saw that fight. Yeah, Emmanuel Augustus, yeah. Emmanuel Augusta. It was, that was a similar like, to, to Ward Gatti, the first fight. And uh, I remember being there because I was actually originally supposed to fight in that card, uh, the promoter. Um, Al Valenti, he'd done some come up with me as well. He worked with top rank and he'd done Mickey. So I never got on to that fight. It was an absolute war and the, the fight could have gone either way. And it was a tough fight. I'm looking, I'm saying, you know, Jesus, that's taking a lot out of him. I think Mickey fought, uh, was it Jesse, Jesse James Layhart after that, was yeah. it? Yeah. Fought that and the end of controversy. But that was another tough fight too. So when I heard of the, the, the Gatti Ward fight coming up, I thought, oh my God, <laughs> you know, what are you doing? Like, like I've known Mickey a long, long time. You know, I remember meeting him the very first time in, I think it was 1990. Um, he fought in the car my brother Steve and McCallum. He fought one of the Petronelli fighters there that day. And, you know, he, uh, I don't think he got the decision, but he should have got the decision. But even then, he was tough, come forward, leave it on the ring type of fighter. Um, and, and one of the nicest people to be outside, he, you know, he's, he wouldn't even think he was a fighter. He's a really easy going guy. Um, he doesn't really... Go to many fights. He, he had a uh, kind of a tarmac road, tarmac company. That's what we, he always done. Blacktop is the call in America. Um, but uh, I always remember in, in the gyms and the Petronelli's, you know, when I turned professional in 93, 94, I remember Goody Tennis with that Mickey Ward shot. So in Massachusetts, everyone spoke with the Mickey Ward shot, tapped to the head, dropped that left hook to the body. You know, it, it was only since I got to know Mickey, even prior to that, that I realized that he was actually a left hander, even though he boxed as a right-hander, and that's why he hit so hard with his left hand. So, um, But that fight, I knew it was going to be a war. A lot of people knew it was going to be a war, but I didn't realise it was going to be such a, you know, in the, in, the, in the sense, like a throwback to the 1950s. I think that was mentioned in the fight by the commentary. Um, whereas it wasn't about the most skillful fighter, and it wasn't about the, the, the tactics. It was literally the, t- the t- two tough men standing there, and who could take the most punishment? And not just take punishment, but, but throw shots back. And literally, it was like they both could. So that's why that's why I became fight of the century. I, w- I wouldn't advise my fighters to say, look at that fight. Hmm. You know, as a fighter, you learn nothing from it. Hmm. As a fighter, I wouldn't instruct them. What I, what I would teach them is that, you know, this is the, 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 the business you're going into. And maybe one day, even no matter how skilled you are, maybe you will have to go through that. Are you willing to go through what they went through and become a world champion or to become a champion? You know, ask yourself these questions at the beginning. If you're not, you know, stay away from boxing. But um, yeah, Mickey, Mickey's a lovely guy, and I've never met, I've met Toro once in kind of passing. I've never actually got to know him. But uh, Mickey, Mickey's a lovely guy. He's been to my gym. He's been in Dublin, my gym, and every time I go to the States, we always catch up. He's become a good fan of Ray Milette because Ray's uncle lives actually is a neighbour of Mickey, so they got to know each other, and he actually sent out a pair of shorts for Ray Milette for Ray's next fight. You know. But uh, he's a good guy, lovely guy, and what a fight. Too many tough fights for Mickey, I think. Yeah. No, it's interesting you say that because um, his wife, Charlene, says that she doesn't recognise the lad in the ring from the lad she sees at home. Like, they're two different people. And I remember, I've only met Mickey Ward once. It was in Boston 
the, Niall Kennedy was fighting that night and Tommy Coyle as well, Packy. And I believe you sort of, you set the two of them up because Mickey Ward, by all accounts, is Tommy Coyle's hero. So you got to meet that night as well. We were staying, we were staying in the same hotel. Uh, it was a matchroom show. And I had um, Niall Kennedy fight that night. And uh, um, it was like uh, Tommy Coyle was there, Katie Taylor, Eddie Hearn, all the matchroom fighters were there. Um, so... I'm listening to I'm listening to Tommy. I didn't know Tommy that well. I've been around to seeing that, you know, and he was trained at Jamie. And I, I remember talking about Mickey Ward's, you know, he was my fan. He used to watch his fight. And so I just took it in. I never spoke to him about it. I never promised him anything because I wouldn't promise something I couldn't deliver. So when we were actually in the garden that evening, uh, we went early with Noel. He was on early. Um, I went down to ringside to make see Spike was sitting ringside with a few other people. and. Mickey was there, and I went to him. He goes, "Hey, Parkin, we're chatting." I said, "Mickey, to do me a favor." He goes, "Yeah, sure. What is it?" I says, "There's a kid up here. I said he's a big fan of yours." I said, "He's fighting on the show. He's a huge fan of yours. He's from the UK. And he's going to fight tonight. Um, would you come down and meet him?" He goes, "No problem." So when we were down, when we were down in the, uh, I brought him down to the change room. So Tommy's over doing an interview with Sky, and uh, when Tommy, someone here at the media, and he was like, "He just finished his interview. I want to stay for it." And I, I didn't care. I didn't want any praise. I, want anything for it. I just knew there's something I could do, you know, to maybe help a fighter, give, bring him to another level. Because he's the way fighter, by the way. He's the, you know, Ryan Kozelski, who Tommy Coyle fought that night. I know Ryan. I've had a box amateur in Ireland on shows. Really good fighter. But if something can help another fighter go to another level, and maybe that did, because Tommy won that night, and it was, it was a tough fight. It was a really good fight. So, uh, yeah, little things like that. I like to do little things like that for people. and just... You know, I prefer people don't even know about it. It's just if you can do it, I'll do it. You know, so yeah, Nicky and Nicky, not a problem at all. He's done that a number of times. I wouldn't ask him too much. I wouldn't annoy people too much. But I just knew it was a fighter. He was getting mm. ready for a fight, and his 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 whole career was Mickey Ward, Mickey Ward. So I thought, you know what? If I can ask Mickey, if he could, and I knew he would say yes anyway. Brought him down, and then I just left him to it, and I walked off. And and actually, I haven't even spoke to Tommy since. He's messaged back and forth, but. You know, it's not for that reason. It's just the fact that we're in the business and we're trying to help each other, you know. Mm. And Tommy Coyle, he certainly modelled himself on uh, on Mickey Ward. He had a lot of wars himself. But we'll just jump into this fight now, just to set some context in case people haven't seen it. This was the archetypal crossroads fight. Arturo Gaddis was a star that already burned brightly and early. World champion at 23. With the first of two wins over Tracy Patterson, followed by incredible battles with Ivan Robinson, Gabri Rulis and Angel Manfredi. Uh, move up to 147 to challenge Oscar De La Hoya proved a bridge too far. The defeat leaving Gatti on the brink of retirement is just 28. By May 2002, though, he was on the comeback trail under Buddy McGirt and keen to find a suitable dance partner for a showcase appearance on HBO, the last remaining date on his contract with the network. Step up Irish Mickey Ward, 36 years old, perhaps the bespoke action fighter of his time. In fact, so dramatic was Ward's back catalogue that Paramount Pictures were able to make a movie about his life without the need to include 2001's Fight of the Year that Packy mentioned against Emmanuel Augustus, then Emmanuel Burton, or the legendary matchup we're about to talk about now. Bill, I kind of touched on it there, and I think this fight was ultimately defined by small margins. And I think the difference probably was that this was almost a stepping stone for Gatti. He needed to beat Mickey Ward to get to a big fight. Whereas Mickey Ward, for Mickey Ward, this was the big fight. This was the, the night that he was looking for against the household name. And he delivered a career best performance. And do you think that was the difference on the night, or how did you see the whole thing playing out? Well, it was. It was fine margins. I mean, there was 
there was a few things going on that night. Whoever was doing the timekeeping made an absolute pig's ear of it. I mean, it was with the last round, they actually only fought for two and a half minutes rather mm. than three minutes. Uh, there was obviously the low blow, which dropped Mickey Ward, but obviously Gatti got the point taken off and the referee says you've got five minutes, but then you hear the bell ringing. So all of a sudden, then Mickey Ward's going back to his corner. He doesn't have his five minutes now. Mickey Ward's not going to take five minutes for a low blow because I think the words he said, I'm all set, I'm ready to go for the start of the, the next round. But that's, uh, and I think one of the judges as well for the for round nine gave it to Mickey Ward as a 10-7. Yeah. So if, if he had actually given it as a 10-8, I think we actually would have got a draw. But it was, you know, it, it was something that... Um, Packy mentioned there about a decision that Mickey Ward didn't get in the previous fight. And that was the sense that he didn't always get the decisions that he he might have deserved. So, you know, maybe people would feel he was due one. And still watching, I just don't even know how Gatti got through the ninth round. And I don't know why Ward didn't keep going for the body after he had obviously put Gatti to the, the floor. And you kind of thought, right, he's just going to do the same. Sure. You have Emmanuel Stewart in commentary just imploring him, just go back to the body and you'll, you'll finish this fight. At one stage, he thinks, that's it, Gatti's done. But it was, it was incredible stuff. Yeah, and Packy, I mentioned Buddy McGirt there and Arturo Gatti is a strange one because as an amateur, he was a boxer. Like he, he boxed on the back foot and then became a bit of a brawler and then back to a boxer and then a brawler again. And then when Buddy McGirt got hold of him, he wanted to turn him back into a boxer. But Phil's, as Phil said, after a couple of good rounds of, you know, dancing on his feet, he got stuck in again. So how difficult is that to sort of, like a fighter who can fight both ways? Do you have to fight, kind of blend those styles together or how do you find it as a coach? Um, it depends. You get fighters come to your gym and you have a certain style and you don't, you don't try to change your style. You try and improve it and you try and correct certain weaknesses, certain um, bad habits you have and try and instill some new you know, new arsenal, but you can't make every fire the exact same. So, putting the boards to the trainer that wants everyone to move, you know, that's the wrong uh, approach. You got to take the fire as he is and try and make him a better fire than what he is. Um, but as far as that fight is concerned, talking about if you look at the first rounds, Mickey Ward put it on Gatti and Gatti did move. He did move. I think it was round three. He started and caught a couple of shots by Mickey. I think Mickey landed a few good right hands and started slowing him down. Actually, I think Mickey landed two good body shots in round three. Mm. And that started taking the legs out of Gatti. So it was a case of, it wasn't a case of Gatti not moving. Like if you look at the setup on the night, the ring was huge. It was a big ring. And, you know, the local fighter was Mickey Ward. So usually the local fighter will get kind of, you know, small ring because he likes to stand and fight and trade. But uh, it was a big ring, so, you know, the plan was, obviously, Gatti was going to run around the outside of the ring and move over and dance, and he did that at the beginning. But Mickey, Mickey was the type of fighter, and, 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 you know, before the fight, Mickey Ward did say that if he loses tonight, he's going to retire. So you've got to remember that it was, it was all laid on the line tonight. So if you have, you know, if you're doing something for the last time, possibly the last time, you're going to leave it all in the ring. Building up to that, you can leave her out of the gym too. So Mickey was obviously in shape that he could go for 10 hard rounds, take a lot of punishment, and dish out a lot of punishment. So that was his plan to write all or nothing. And he put it on Gatti. And it's, you know, you get a lot of slick fighters who like to move a lot. But if you have a guy 
that's not just constantly after you, but it's cutting the ring off. Ward's cutting the ring off really well. It wasn't that in circle, cutting the ring off. So, you know, at some stage, Gatti was going to have to stand and trade. The other side of it is, you know, forget about Mickey Ward and Gatti. You have a fight like Gatti, who's a boxer, and he goes into fights, and he wins fights easy because he's moving. But probably get something from them fights. He probably doesn't take anything from it, from the atmosphere. And all of a sudden, he decides to stand trade for somebody. And, then, and, and all of a sudden, the crowd's like him because he's standing and trading. So people are watching him more. So you can have a fighter who's a world champion, who's making pennies because people don't want to pay to see him. And then all of a sudden, this fighter goes, I'm going to stand and trade. And next thing, you know, HBO want to, want to book him and you know, Showtime want to book him. And they want to pay him huge money. So sometimes that can create a fighter who's a good boxer to actually stand and trade and, and go into wars. Because, you know, the three fights with Mickey Ward, um, none of them were world titles. They were all 10 rounds, and maybe there was international titles running into the next two. But they were big money fights. The next two, I think, were million-dollar fights, paydays, which is unheard of if they weren't world titles. So, you know, it kind of answers the question that fighters who, who could be boxers and could go through their whole careers decide, you know, I'm here to make money, and I'm going to do what I have to do to make money. And that's the reason why I think Gappy became a stand there and trade kind of fighter. Yeah. No, he, he was a promoter's dream, just for those reasons you said. I think Larry Merchant says he's a boxer puncher, but when he gets punched, the boxing goes out the window, and that's kind of, that kind of sums it up. But it's an interesting point you make about the size of the ring, Packy. Did you ever rock up to a venue on the night and see the size of the ring and tweak your tactics, or is a ring just a ring at the end of the day? Ultimately, oh, oh, no. Usually, what I do is when I fight, whenever a fight coming up, if I get offered a fight from my fighter, the other questions I'll ask: Okay, what size ring are we going to use? You know, twenty foot, eighteen foot, twenty-two foot, twenty-four foot. What size ring? I always ask that question anyway because if it's my fighter's fighting in their hometown, well, then the promoter's idea, I know, it, I'm going to say right. What size ring are you using? Uh, if my fighter's going away from home, like when he fought the Canelo on the card, uh, Triple G on the card in Vegas, you know, we knew the size of the ring because it's out there from the very start with Canelo, Triple G. So little things like that you know. Um, I have an 18 foot and a six, uh, an 18 foot and 24, uh, 18 inside and 16 foot inside rings in my gym. So I remember, um, I think it was Frank Bullioni fighting for a world title and we knew it was going to be a big ring. So Literally, we've done all our training in gym, but we found a bigger ring. We go to our sparring to get used to that. So, you know, little things to suit, to suit the home for the promoters for is what they'll do. And that's why when, when, when they made the ring that big, um, it was all leaning towards Gatti. And, and realistically, only for the knockdown uh, in round nine, you know, Gatti would have won the fight. Even though it was rounds, I thought Mickey would have, may have shaded or it could have been draws. You know, it was set up for, for Gatti to win that fight. Yeah, and like, it's obviously all about the fighters in this one, but interesting to get your coaching perspective because you mentioned yourself, you're never going to pull this up as an example of what your fighters should do. But I'm sure you found yourself on the night in fights like this where tactics almost go out the window and you're sailing against the tide a little bit. So is, do, you well, become, do you become like a motivator in those situations where you're just saying the right things rather than tactical advice? Well, I do in the gym. I do in the gym all the time. Like, we're in it. We're in a training session, whether it's a sparring session. Sparring sessions in my gym are, are boxing sessions. They're not, you know, you wouldn't get a word got to in my gym. I'd stop it straight away because most damage happens to fighters' brains, I believe, in the gym. 
you got the sub James, this guy is putting on a war, and there's people shouting and screaming, and like, you know, this is, this is bullshit. What I learned in the States was, you, you, when you're in the gym and when you're in the ring sparring, you got specific uh, sparring partners to practice different moves on. And, uh, you know, you can get a little heat, that's fine, but you don't, you don't stomach like guys go to war. But what you do is when they're on the bags or when they're on the pad session and they're feeling that burning in the stomach, you know, and they, they want to, they don't want to quit, but they want to rest a little. That's when you talk and you push and say, listen, you know, you got to go through this right now because it's going to happen in a fight. And when it happens in a fight, I'm going to, I'm going to bring this all back to you, what you're going through here in the ring, in the gym. And I remember Noel Candy fighting uh, Alexis Santos. Alexis Santos was like, I think he was 18 and 2, and Noel was 5 and 0. I'd seen Lexi Santos fight before, and I, I, I thought there was a question marks over his heart. You know, he proved me wrong. But I said, you know, there's a fight for Noel Kennedy. could beat him. But in that fight, I think it was around six or seven. I remember at the time uh, when Noel took the fight, he had a child that was born premature, five and a half months. And the child was tiny. And the child, you know, it was 50 50 when the child was going to pull through. And I, and I remember in the gym all the time, Noel was going, you know what, Noel? You got to do this for your young son because he's in the, in the hospital fighting, you know, for his life. And and we've done this in the gym every day. And I remember in the fight, I think it was around seven or eight. It was a time where Noel, it was, it was a the hot light and it was a tough fight and had a little drain. He'd never been more than eight rounds. This was a ten round fight. I remember saying to Noel, you know what, Noel, we've done this in the gym. We've got this young kid in the hospital. I said he's 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 not well, but he's fighting his life. No, are you willing to go and fight for two more rounds? And you know what, it, it just it just clicked for him. He knew, he goes, yeah, I can. You know, my brother Steve, when he fought against Jew Banks and Ben, if you know, he always banged his fists together. And that was something done in the gym when he was training. And when he was feeling tired and people were motivated, so, you know, dig deep, he would bang his fists together in the gym. He became an anchor. So then when he's in a fight, bang the fist, exactly what he did in the gym. And that just basically gave him that extra energy and that extra boost. And I instilled this in my fighters. And, you know, a lot of time it works. Sometimes, you know, Nothing works, but most of the time it does work. Hmm. And we've kind of set the context for the first half of this fight, Phil, and we, we saw Gaddy's tactics, we saw Ward's tactics, but by round five it had kind of become Mickey Ward's fight, hadn't it? So 98 punches in round five, 88 of them were power shots. And you could see Mickey Ward, like he's, he's known as like a one-punch sort of, he's kind of known for that one shot, but he was putting combinations together here and basically throwing everything at Gaddy. So... Did you pick out a turning point while you were watching this back, or did like what was your uh, what was your main takeaway from the middle of the fight? One punch that was actually very successful from was the right hand, the the short right, which obviously wasn't what we'd associate with him. But Paggy alluded at the end of the third round, you could see that Gatti had taken a couple of body shots, and then obviously slows him down. The the fourth round when Gatti loses the the point, but. Mm. You know, he had thrown a few low blows already, but said those body shots, the fact that it goes from, you know, the first, and obviously, you know, in later fights, especially the, the second fight between the two, Gatti fought the way that he wanted to fight the first time, but he didn't get to do it because um, obviously, you know, in, in the second fight, he did serious damage to Mickey Ward in one of his ears, so his balance was all over the shot. But going back to the, the first fight, I thought, yeah, once the body shots and it becomes Mickey Ward's kind of fight, then, you know, th- obviously that's going to start putting things in his favour. What, what's it like then, Packy, say, for somebody like Arturo Gatti, who has Mickey Ward closing off the ring and 
we know it, Arturo Gatti is power. De La Hoya said it himself. He's one of the, the hardest, if not hardest punchers he's faced. And there's Gatti landing shots and Mickey Ward's just walking through them. Yeah, well, the thing about it is, obviously, obviously we had a training camp for Gatti and his training camp was, you know, uh, Buddy McGort had him moving. You know, this is a training camp and he probably had Sparrow and putting it on Gatti in the gym and he's moving, he's boxing, he's moving, boxing. That's okay for 99% of the players, but Mickey Ward is good for Mickey Ward will, will, will put it on you, he'll break you down, you know, he'll break your heart, he'll cut the ring off. But what Mickey Ward does really well too, and it's, it's, it's slightly different um, in Gatti, you know, as far as Gatti's concerned, if you're a fighter that stands off Gatti and he throws some shots, he'll knock you out, he'll hurt you, you stand off. But if you're a fighter that's coming at you, it's hard to get your feet set, you know, to land them big shots. What Mickey Ward does really good also is, well, not good, because he takes shots to do it. Mickey Ward will fire as you're firing too. So if you're a fighter who's a puncher, you know, and the guys stand up, you throw them shots, because you know it's safe to do so. Mickey Ward is different. You know, if Gatti's getting ready to throw shots, Mickey will throw at the same time. He'll take shots from Gatti as well as throw shots. So, you know, Gatti's always aware of this too. Um, you know, Mickey Ward, I think, early on in his career, should have been a world champion, like the WCWA. I think he was managed wrong because, you know, it beat so many great fighters. He lost his good fighters too. Some were controversial. Some he wasn't even ready for. But one thing that Mickey Ward had, you know, he had a, he had a, a knowledge that to land shots on Gatti, because Gatti was throwing and moving. To land shots on Gatti, you got to hit Gatti while he's trying because he's, he's there in front of you. As soon as he stops, he's gone. So Mickey Ward started doing this. Now, Gatti, I believe, was kind of shocked by this because Gatti, known as a big puncher, most guys wouldn't stand in front of him and most guys wouldn't allow him hit him. So I think that kind of broke his heart slightly. You know, slightly. But, you know, Gatti, Gatti was, he was a warrior. He was an absolute warrior and he proved it in this fight. But... You know, Mickey Ward was also a warrior and he had that great left hook to the body. But, you know, speaking of the right hand, from I think it was round three, Mickey Ward was landing good body shots, but he was landing that short right hand. And as I say to you, as Gaddy was getting off in the shots, Mickey was moving forward into his range, taking shots to land that right hand. And it was having success. And if you watch Gaddy's eyes, his eyes was closing up. He was cutting the fighting shots. So sometimes you just have to hope that your fire will not walk in the gym and don't put the road walk in that they've actually got the engine and the heart to get through what you know is going to be a tough fight because if I watched that fight and it was my fire for round one or two and say right this is going to be a war you know it's going to be a war there's, there's very little tactics you can actually come up with you know it's, it's, it's just one of them fights and the guys were so emotionally involved and they're, they're such great fighters and, and possibly you know, they probably both think that either of them lose, that's the end of their career. But, uh, you know, Mickey Ward, I, I spoke to Mickey not so long ago. We were at a, 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 a poker class with Mark Wahlberg organized something. I remember we were having a coffee and we were chatting. And, you know, Mickey, as much as he loves people telling them, you know, what Jesus, you are our favorite for great wars. He does have regrets for, you know, being in fights like that. He tells young fighters, don't fight like me. You know, I suffer. He suffers himself. He, he headaches. He, you know, he goes to the hospital every now and again, takes certain medications. And he, you know, he has his, uh, his downside to, to being such a great fighter like that. But he's, you know, he's a warrior and, and, a, and a really nice guy and a gentleman on top of that too. Mm. And also, 
because he doesn't jab a lot, so you might wonder how does he get and close the distance to Gatti, but he's got good feints as well. It's probably an underestimated part of his game where Gatti probably, he probably couldn't work out the Mickey Ward's timing because every time Mickey Ward came in, he wasn't necessarily throwing, but then he'd catch Gatti off guard. So they were quite similar in their, in, in their approach ultimately by the time this fight ended, but um, they were just different enough where they were able to mesh into, into a nice little battle. But in between yes. rounds... Well, Mickey, Mickey holds his hands high. That's his defence, you know. And when you have your hands nice and high, you know, the hand is there. The shot is very short. You could just throw a short. So he was catching, throwing. And that's why he was getting he was getting through a lot of shots. Whereas Gatti was kind of getting his hands down lower, coming back with hooks. And he was getting caught a little bit. Uh, you know, that's why Ward was having a bit more success with that right hand. Mm-hmm. And round six, you lads have already mentioned that Gaddy was catching Ward clean and I, I'm sure it was dispiriting for him that he wasn't rocking him much. And then round seven, it looked like Gaddy had actually turned the tide and Ward turned southpaw briefly at the end of round seven as if he was sort of out of ideas. And Dickie Eklund in the corner after round seven says to him, you know, I don't want you to become a punching bag here, Mickey, as if to say, you know, if I see any more of this, I'm going to pull you out. But then we ultimately see what happened. And myself and Phil looked at Corrales Castillo a couple of weeks ago and we saw what happened there where no one would have blamed the coach for calling the fight off, but I'm sure you've had moments yourself, Packy, where you're second guessing. You kind of have to trust your fighter, what you've seen in the gym, and know that they can close the fight out strong. Yeah, if a fighter's if a, if a fighter's in a fifty-fifty fight where you know he's going to get a good, uh, he's going to get the right decision at the end of the night. You, you know, if if he still has a chance to win, um, it's a huge important fight. And you know, as we we said with Ward, it was it was in his mind this last fight of his career. You do give them the benefit of the doubt. I've, I've pulled fighters out fights where they weren't winning and they weren't going to win. And before they got hurt, I knew they can get hurt. I've been in there, you know, I've taken shots. Um, so I've literally pulled fighters out fights. So you, you don't second guess, you know, you know yourself and you make that that choice and it's protected for it and the health. But, uh, but with a fight like that, Mickey Ward is, you know, all his fights have been the same. You know, it's just when you're, when you're with somebody like Gatti who's very similar to Ward, the one Sunday and trade, it becomes a better fight. Um, but Dickie did warn, you know, his brother, you know, keep your hands up, you know, don't be getting hit with silly shots because at the end of the day, still my brother and I've got to protect you. So, um, you know, it, it, it made no difference. I mean, Mickey just went out and did what he did for the next couple of rounds anyway mm. and took a lot of shots too, but he gave a lot also. And Phil, you already said it. We're going to jump into round nine, but just a shout out for the production from HBO. It was, it was class. There were so many great elements to it and everyone played their part. Even Harold Letterman losing the plot over the, the timekeeper not getting his, yeah, uh, yeah. Not getting his but, act together. Yeah, but you, you kind of see at the end of the eighth round what's coming because, you know, halfway through the fight, it looks like Gatti's gone back to his boxing. But then when Ward has his little moments, they're just so eye-catching and the crowd get involved and, you know, he looks unbelievable. And then towards the end of that eighth round, I think if there was another 20 seconds left in that eighth round, I wouldn't have been surprised if, if Ward stops Gatti. So as soon as the, the that round ends, you kind of know what's coming and the, the Ward camp kind of smell, they smell blood and they think, right, let's get after him now. And you could see from the start of, of round nine, I know we'll go into it in more detail, but... As soon as the bell sounds around nine, there's a spring in the step of Mickey Ward, and you know he's got one thing on his mind, and obviously comes very close to doing it. Mm. And 
like it's it's such a crazy round even watching it back but just to imagine watching it live like Jim Lampley says with the the use of time basically to look back he says it's the greatest round he ever called and on the night Emmanuel Stewart said this is the round of the century so it just shows the, uh, what was true then is, is still true now and that knocked down Packy a big body shot and you could see it on Gaddy's face that it like the soul almost left his body it looked that that I don't think anyone expected him to get up and Frank Cappuccino, I think Jim Lampley's saying a few seconds later, you know, Frank, you can step in any time here. And he lets it go. Would you have blamed the referee for jumping in there? Or did you think Gaddy deserved a chance to go out in the shield or fight back? Well, uh, up until that point, like eight rounds, it was, it was war. The ball getting hit with big shots, hard with shots. But Mickey Ward's trademark punches, the left hook to the body, the liver shot. And uh, I landed, and, you know... I didn't think Gatti would have got up. You know, I know the decision now. I know how it went. But at the time, I never thought Gatti would get up. You know, that liver shot, it's pretty hard to recover from. But he got up. He got up and they let the round go on. But if you look at the second minute of that round, I think Gatti came back into the round for the, for the you know, after a minute and a half, you know, probably for a minute, a half minute of that fight, near the end, came back into the round. But then, you know, Mickey Ward put on again and, and I thought I really thought last 30 seconds that Frank Cappuccino was going to step in and, and call a halt to that fight because Gatti was just gone he was gone he was getting hit with shots and um, I, I know people say they're glad he didn't but and I'm kind of glad he didn't too because uh, you know I think maybe also he could see referee could see a lot more than I can or you can't sit now so maybe the referee could see that Nicky Ward probably had nothing left in the shots. You know, there was probably nothing left in them shots and he just gave Gatti the benefit of the doubt and the him finish the fight in his feet being such a warrior. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I'm glad, I'm glad he did. But if the referee stepped in and, and called a halt to the fight, I don't think anybody would have had a problem with it either. Yeah. And in terms of the left hook to the liver, as you said, like everyone knows this is Mickey Ward's shot. It would have been number one on your training board if you were training someone against Mickey Ward. You would have been like, watch out for the shot. And yet he landed it repeatedly that night. So what's the best way to deal with a body puncher if you're training someone to deal with someone like that? Is there something you can do or is it just one of those yeah, things? Yeah, well, well, as I say, Mickey Ward had a true great left hook to the body. The, the, the left hook is a liver shot. If you get hit in the liver, it's very hard to recover. You can't recover because the liver goes into shock. You with the spasm. And don't care how tough you are, you get hit with that right shot, you don't cut off the floor. Um, but Mickey was extra powerful because, as I say, he was a left-hander. He was actually left-handed. So he hit, you know, basically his left hand was my right hand, mm. um, even though he boxed orthodox. The only, the only way to fight a guy like Mickey Ward um, to stay away from his left hand is just move away from it. You know, if he gets you in a, in a clinch, you get, you get tight on him. You get a fire, get right tight on him where he doesn't, doesn't have that leverage for the left hook. But mainly move away from his left hand. Um, so he doesn't get that leverage off his shot. But I think I think that's what happened when he fought Gatti. I think the plan by Buddy McGort was to move away from from uh, Mickey's left hook to the body. And, you know, Dickie Eckler and Mickey countered that because, you know, we spoke earlier, Phil, Mickey Ward was landing lots of right hands. So I think he he kind of I think he he kind of knew that Gatti was going to move away from that shot. Gatti's going to move to his left, away from Mickey's left hook to the body. That was their whole game plan. Whereas Mickey Ward's game plan was, you know what, while he's moving away from that shot, I'm going to throw big right hands. And, and it worked because Mickey was landing lots of right hands too. And they were a big decider in the fight. That one left hook to the body or a couple, you know, did change the, the, the point system. But as far as that right hand's concerned, early on the fight, Mickey was landing a lot and he was closing the side and he cut him with the shot as well. So 
it's you know a guy comes to fight you with a good left hook to the body you got to be careful but you also have to counter that you know prepare your right hand when he gets set to throw his left hook to the body let your right hand go in the chin and you know it's, it's it's just little things you can try you can try on the night you get hit that shot you know 99 times over 100 you're not getting up Phil round nine is just spectacular I don't think I've watched any round more than this one probably and it, just imagine if you bought a ticket, Jim Lampy says, which I think is my favourite line in it. And it's true because we talked about Corrales Castillo a few weeks ago and it wasn't a full arena. And similarly this time, there was a good crowd there, but people knew it was going to be a great fight. But it took round nine, much like round 10 in Corrales Castillo, to sort of tip it over the edge into not just an A-plus fight. Like this is in the cream of the cream. This is the, one of the greatest fights ever. So just talk to me about round nine, your takeaways from it. One thing I'm surprised at is when Ward gets the knockdown, how now he's not landing as many left hands. Surely, with the situation Gatti is in, you know he's he's really struggling. He's done unbelievable; like he's defied the odds to get up. That I'd be interested to hear Packy's taking this. Why is Ward not going straight after that shot again? Or is he just there is there is a little stage in the round where you think he's he's taking a breather because he's thrown so many punches at the start of the round. Um, I I I I kind of agree with you, but as a fighter, if you hit someone a good left hook to the body and you're horsing that shot, and watch Gatti, Gatti, you know, kept his right hand really low then to protect that body. So if his if his right hand is low, his chin is exposed and. You know, his, his right side is exposed. So what you got to try to do is, and it was clever enough from Mickey too, you know, instead of just throwing that left hook, trying to land it a lot, he was switching up his shots. He was throwing right hands over the top. He was throwing slight jabs to kind of blind him. But really what it was all working towards was letting that left hook go to the body again. And, you know, it, you could see he was trying to do that. He was trying to set that same shot up again. Whereas if he had just went straight off and thrown them left hooks, um, Gatti would have cut a lot of them on the on the on the arms and also Mickey would have been open for if I got his right hand. So, you know, tactically that's probably why he did it. You know, looking back, he, he probably should have just, just went, you know, trolled them and, and just wanted another one to land because then it's fight over. Um but you know it's it's easy to sit and look back at a fight and say, you know, maybe he should have done this and maybe he should have done that. But um you know it's Fighters, fighters make that decision. You don't have much time in there. You've got a, a minute or two to make a decision yourself. To say why. Well, and I think I think what Mickey Ward did was he showed a lot of experience. Inexperienced fighters might just went straight after left hook, probably throwing ten left hooks to the body. Whereas Mickey Ward showed his experience and just he moved upstairs because Gatti's hands were low and he was landing shots in the head. And and the referee, you know, at that time probably should have stopped the fight because Gatti was getting hit clean shots to the chin. And um, so that was Mickey Ward's tactics for there. Uh, what a round. What yeah, a brilliant round. Yeah. What stood out to me was, what stood out to me was, um, as Rocky would say, it's not about getting hit <laughs> or going down. It's about how hard you get hit and keep moving forward. That was written for Arturo Gatti. Yeah. And then in round 10, there was some confusion. There seemed to be a lot of uh, strange confusion outside the ring as much as in it. So at one point, it seemed the referee was about to wave the fight off. I think there was miscommunication yeah. between the, the doctor and the cornerman. And... Mickey Ward puts his arms in the air before round 10 as if, oh, thank God I've done this. So even the temporary release of, oh, I've won to, oh, I have to go back in five seconds later, the fight's back on. It must be tough for fighters to, to readjust to that. But we mentioned Tommy Coyle earlier, Packy, and it's an interesting point that 
he he's a decent boxer himself. Like he, you know, he can he fancies himself inspiring to box in the back foot. But when it comes to fight night, Carl uh, Frampton says Tommy always complains about being given too many tactics. He says it's easier to fight wars than it is to fight tactical fights because you need to think. And he said it hurts his head to think in fights. So sometimes in round ten, you just see the two lads tactics go out the window. They just both bite down and sort of swing for defenses is that would you find that yourself have you discovered that in your own career yeah what, what i believe happened around 10 and you've got to realize two fighters who fighting each other and um, it was about respect for each other they were just going to go stand there toe to toe and it was kind of a you know it was kind of a who's the toughest here who's the most macho but it was also respect for each other mm. and you know it's kind of it's 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 closing the show you know this is how you have to fight this is how you have to fight the 10th round after being through such a war. Let's just stand toe to toe. You know, let's, let's, it's like you see fighters in fights and they're in such great fights. And then the last round, they run for, for three minutes and it ruins the whole fight. You know, although if they, if they continue and they, and they, and they continue on their feet and they finish this round on their feet, they'll win the fight. There was none of that for Mickey Ward or Turogat. It was like, I respect you. You respect me. We've given it our all. We've, both try to knock each other out. Let's close the show here and let's give it three minutes, you know, of hell. And and there was there was one point in that fight where I think it was early on the round. I think Mickey caught uh, Gatti, tried to finish him, and then Morales punched himself out. And then Gatti came back into the round. And then at the end, Mickey Ward was just he was just letting his hands go. And you know, it was it was it was amazing. It was it was just they showed so much uh, guts and heart and for two men to, to, to do this, you know, there was no skill involved. It was just like, as I say, going back to the 50s, to Carmen Basilios, to Jake Lamadis. Um, this is what prize fighters do. You know, this is not what boxers do. This is what prize fighters do. They get paid a prize to go out and fight. And, and this is what people pay or want to see, you know, and this is, it's just, it'll, it'll, it'll be there forever. This fight will be spoken about forever. And, you know, thankfully, I've got to meet and got to know Mickey over the, so many years to realise that, you know, he's got such a tough, hard man um, who, who really is a gentleman and a soft person and a generous person, a kind person, and gives up his time for practically everybody. So it's, 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 it's nice to sit back and talk with somebody like that. Yeah. And you mentioned, you both mentioned the 1950s and the fact that they're both wearing white shorts. If you just turned it black and white, it would look as if it was in the 1950s, but... Phil, as you said earlier, there was a bit of an errant scoring. Richard Flaherty scored a 10-7 in round nine for, for Ward. So that kind of tipped it over the edge for him. And scoring's never perfect. It's not a perfect science in boxing. We've seen amateur scoring with the buttons and we've seen this 10-9 must system. But sometimes you can just look at the fight and you know who won. And just about by a couple of percent, you'd give Mickey Ward the nod in this one. Is that how you felt at the final bell? Yeah, but a really tight. And even the last round... How Gatti not only survived the ninth round, but you could actually argue a case that he won the last round. So that just shows the measure of the man that he could actually come out and, and do that in, in, in the final round. But yeah, it was, it was marginal. Obviously, one judge gave it as gave it as a draw, and then the other the other two gave it to to Mickey Ward. But you know, you have that moment where when you hear the the announcer, you're waiting to hear the, and when you hear the, the word Irish, then you know Mickey Ward's got the decision. But you knew straight away, as disappointed as Gatti would have been, that they were doing it again, which was great. And what developed from this was obviously we know Gatti wins the second fight quite comfortably. 
and could have opted out. He didn't necessarily have to take the third fight straight away, but Michael Buffer actually after the, the second fight basically sets it all up by saying that uh, there's going to have to be a third fight. And Gaddy made sure that Mickey Ward got that shot straight away. And they obviously did the trilogy within the space of 13 months. So mm-hmm. unbelievable. And, uh, you know, fight that fights that will always be remembered. And, you know, if, if anyone is starting to get into boxing, one of the first things they're going to be told is go and watch Gaddy Ward and, you know, have a look at round nine. I, I think I might tell our parents how the kids get into boxing. <laughs> yeah, that's true as well. Yeah. No, but, but just something to hit on there, you, you hit on Richard Flaherty, the, uh, given the 10-7 round in round nine. I actually I actually knew Dick, Dick Flaherty, we knew him as, he was, uh, he was a ref and judge for the Mass Boxing Commission. So, you know, he would have probably done 90% of Mickey's fights anyway. So, actually, Dick has passed on since then. But, uh, you know, you're going to get that in, 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 a, in a local fighter, a hometown fighter, you know, to kind of push a little bit more because they don't want Mickey to lose uh, in such a great fight. But really, really, um, as I say, both of them was a crossroads fight for both of them. And they were both talking possibly, I know Mickey mentioned, I know Gatti mentioned, possible retirement. I think a draw... I think a draw, you know, would have been a fair decision on the night. Now, if the if the draw had happened, would he have fought again? Probably not. You know, I believe that Gatti felt hard done by. He had a little bit more left in the tank, he believes, than Ward. So they pushed for the rematch straight away, Gatti. And like I said, there was no titles involved. There was no world championships involved. But I think the rematch was, was over a million pound payday, a million dollar payday for both fighters, which is huge for a 10-round fight. Um, so, you know, just hitting on that Dick Flatley thing, you know, it's 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 just these things happening in kind of home, not hometown, Foxwoods, I'm a Higginstone, sorry, Connecticut is like an hour and a half from Boston. Yeah. The, the 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 judge on the night, Dick Flatley, was like a, you know, as we used to call him, one of our own. And, and you know, hitting hit on the Mass Boxing Commission, uh, I remember when I was boxing, when Dick was there, Freddie Roach's mother was there, Barbara too. She was a judge. And there was great little community. And I, I remember... When Mickey was fighting and he was a top-ranked fighter and he was with uh, Al Valenti, I fought in a few shows. Not with Mickey, no, different shows, but he was always around the same scene. So the Mass Boxing Commission with Freddie's mom and Dick Flaherty, another co- other, other referees in George, you know, it was like we were like a community. It was actually like a community. We knew each other. We'd see each other, you know, how are you doing, have a coffee. So, you know, that's probably where that extra point came out. Yeah, probably so, probably so. And you mentioned subsequent meetings um, are also classics. Probably the first one stands out in its own. And it probably was important that Ward got the nod here because it set him up for that million-dollar payday. And they moved it over to the boardwalk called Atlantic City. It was double the attendance of the first fight. So those were important things. And we've seen trilogies built on, on hate, really, like hatred between the two fighters, like Morales and Barrera couldn't stand each other. And this was totally the opposite. This was a respect thing. And each of the fights had their own little wrinkle where in, rent, or in, in the second fight, uh, Ward's eardrum is ruptured and that kind of throws him off a little bit and Gaddy wins easily. But then in the third fight, Gaddy breaks his hand and that sort of lets Ward back into things. So they fought 30 competitive rounds one way or another. It was nip and tuck the whole way through. So, um, and then, as I mentioned, respect. There's footage of them after the third fight in the hospital together. And often we can be, journalists can be guilty, fans can be guilty of just forgetting about it after the final round and just thinking the fighters go their separate ways. But this is, they're putting their lives on the line ultimately. And as, you, as both of you have said, the legacy of this fight is we'll be talking about it in 100 years 
and 200 years time. It's that kind of, it's that kind of legend, really. Bill? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, obviously, the fight itself, the war, but what happens afterwards is everything that's great about boxing, that once the bell sounds, the final bell, the respect is there. And, you know, the, the great friendship that would have come out of the, the trilogy and, as I mentioned earlier on, that ends up with Mickey Ward training Gatti. Obviously, it started off where he walked him into the ring and then uh, Gatti got Mickey Ward in to train him. And just even, you know, there's that documentary, Ronan, which you had recommended to me, the Gatti and Ward documentary, where you see Mickey Ward going to the Hall of Fame the day that Arturo Gatti's been inducted and get the Gatti family are there. And, you know, Mickey Ward is is part of that Gatti history now, and you know it's um, just it's really sad, obviously, that Gatti's not around anymore. But those uh, those years where after the fights that they were such good friends, and I'm sure Mickey Ward is still in touch with the the Gatti family as well. Mm. And the tragedy of it is, similarly, Corrales passed away a couple of uh, years after his fight with Castillo, and very different circumstances here. After two two years after his final fight, Gaddy was found dead in a hotel in Brazil, and suspicious circumstances surround it. Ultimately, has been declared a suicide, but a lot of contention around that. We can't really get into the details of it here. But Canadian police and um, Brazilian police had went back and forth over it for a long time. Nothing, nothing concrete really. So it's kind of it's un, it's unfortunate that um, that sort of uncer- uncertainty surrounds Gaddy's final days. But as a boxer. Packy, Phil mentioned, he, he was in the Hall of Fame his first year of eligibility, he went straight into the Hall of Fame and didn't win 10 world titles, didn't win, wasn't a Floyd Mayweather or Sugar Ray Leonard, but it's what he did, it's the entertainment he brought to the ring, that's his legacy really, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, yeah. It's, I mean, there's so many fighters that actually, you know, I'm not, I'm not a big boxing fan as far as watching fights live. I won't get up at 4 or 5 in the morning to watch a fighter. I never did, never will, unless, you know, I know them personally or they're related to me. Um, I will watch fights back, you know, when I hear the results. Or, but I love watching. I love watching the old fights, you know. And and literally, the the Hall of Fame is set up for fighters, you know, that we remember from certain fights. It's not, you know, being a four-time world champion. I think you get into the Hall of Fame by being a, a, a an entertaining fighter and being a fan-friendly fighter. And if you're a fan-friendly, entertaining fighter, you'd probably see more of you in fights on TV and and being in bigger fights. And that's what the Hall of Fame kind of look for. And that's why, you know, Gatti and he, uh, I remember Gatti like from an early age seeing him and uh, I liked him straight away because, you know, I think it was 10 years after he turned pro when he fought Mickey, but he'd so much energy. His, his, his fitness, his punch ratio, his footwork, he was unbelievable. He could stand and trade, he could fight too, but, uh, you know, he always stood out to me. And uh, I think he trained in New Jersey, but he was Canadian. And because he was a Canadian for a Canadian Italian, that's probably why I stood out more. <clears throat> but uh, he, uh, yeah, it's the, 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 you know, he was inducted to quite early the Hall of Fame, but uh, he's, um, and he's missed, he'd be missed now. I think, I think if he was around now, I think him and Mickey could do so much together. Um, you know, people go meet him at the Hall. Like, we, we were to go to the Hall of Fame this year. We were planning a trip out, me and the guys from the gym. Um, we were planning a trip out this year. Um, but, you know, it'd be nice to go meet Mickey and, and, and Atura and just ask them certain questions about, you know, what was going through your mind around nine and 
you know, round 10 and that body shot. The, 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 you know, there's little things you can learn from fighters um, who've been there, who've done it. They can maybe pass it on to your own fighters too. So, uh, you know, it was uh, good times, bro. You know? Yeah. Great stuff, lads. Just before I let you go, Phil, any last thoughts? My main thing is the fighter came out 10 years ago and none of the Gaddy fights were included in it and the Emmanuel Augustus fight wasn't included in it. So I think it's only fair that 10 years later we should commission the fighter part two and, and get someone to play Arturo Gaddy and let's get these fights on the big screen as well. Yeah, no, that that was always the talk, wasn't it? That there was going to be a second one and they, they would be specifically based on the trilogy and Look, it's Mark Wahlberg is going to have to get himself into shape. Obviously, really good friends with, with Mickey Ward. And uh, yeah, like, I, I find myself, any time I see that film on TV, I end up going down the rabbit hole of watching Mickey Ward footage, which is never a bad thing anyway. I mean, it's never a bad way to spend a couple of hours going watching the fights that are featured in it, the, the Sanchez fight. And was it really like it's portrayed mm-hmm. in the film? Was he getting absolutely battered? And uh, it turns out he was uh, the, the Shane Erie fight, you know, uh, you know, you're watching that as well. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I'd love to see, love to see a second one. And another thing that you think of round nine, and it's something we talk about all the time when we're looking back on classic fights, Ronan, is it nowadays the impact social media would have on that. If that had happened on a Saturday night, everyone waking up on a Sunday morning would spend three minutes watching round nine and the thing would just be viral straight away. I mean, I mean, people already know about round nine, but if you had, say, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook yeah. behind that now, it would be colossal. No, it's, it's spot on. And if, if anyone listening, if, if all you watch is round nine, I think it kind of sums up the 30 rounds that the two lads shared. It was just the incredible stuff. Packy, thanks a million. It's been an education as sorry, ever. Sorry, can I just, can I just yeah. hear one thing? Absolutely. Just one thing. Um, exclusive, right? The last one was out in Boston. Um, certain people told me that actually Mickey was in talks for uh, the the second part, the Fire Two. When I was in Boston, I was told by you know reliable source that Mickey was actually meeting with uh, film companies about the second part of uh, Fire. Oh, yeah? So that is possibly happening. And then you, you, you mentioned Shane Neary and Mickey Ward. You know, going back, uh, Shane Neary's manager was good friends with my brother Roddy, and Roddy spent a bit of time in Liverpool and stuff. And and nobody really knew Mickey Ward just side the Atlantic. But I was living in America, so I knew Mickey well. And my brother Steve knew Mickey because him and Mickey were kind of, they were like twin brothers. And they were always around each other at certain times and fought in certain shows together and stuff. So uh, my brother already rang Steve. I remember, you know, I had this conversation before with him. And he said, Steve, uh, what do you know about Mickey Ward? He said, uh, friend of mine is the manager, call me up, Shane Eary's manager. Uh, they're going to fight Mickey Ward. What do you think? And Steve says, no, don't fight him. He says, that I, I defy that fight. Um, and whatever Roddy told me, this is probably not true, but I believe it is true. But uh, it's, it's out there now, any. But uh, Steve told Roddy, and Steve told me this also. He says, no, stay well away, Mickey Ward. And, uh, you know, what, that was another great fight to do, but you should have listened. Stay well yeah. away, Mickey. The rest anyway, is history. The rest is history. Rest history yeah. Thanks a million, Packy. You're very good with your time. Thanks, no. Packy. No. Actually, broke up my time, so I really appreciate that, too. Okay. <laughs> great stuff. We'll have, to have you. we'll have to get you on again. And thanks to everyone for tuning in, as always. Uh, we'll chat to you soon. Get
dream of fairy tales, I think of me and Shelly. See, she's my type of hype, and I can't stand when brothers tell me that I should quit chasing and look for something better. But the smile that she shows makes me a go-getter. I haven't gone as far as asking if I could get with her. I just play love by ear and hope she gets the picture. I'm shooting for her heart, got my finger on the trigger. She can be my broad, and I can be her. All I can do is stay up. Back as kids, we used to kiss when we played truth or dare. Now she's more sophisticated, highly educated, not at all overrated. I think I need a prayer to get in a book, and it looks rather dry. I guess a twinkle in her eye is just a twinkle in her eye. Although she's crazy stepping, I'll try and stop the stride, because I won't have no more of this passive vibe. Time for me to voice my opinion, can't be pretending she didn't have me. Sprung like a chicken, chasing my tail like a doggy. She was kind of like a star, thinking I was like a fan. Damn, she looked good. Downside, she had a man. He was a Rudy, too. A Nick and Pooh. She told me soon your little birdie's gonna fly the coop. She was a flake like corn, and I was born not to understand. But letting the past, I proved to be a better man. I wasn't such a wimp Cause then I would let you know That I love you so And if I was your man Then I would be true The only lying I would do Is in the bed with you Then I turned to tell The one who loves you dearly P.S. love me tender But the letter came back Three days later Returned to sender Damn 